In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In the summer that I turned five years old, Western Pennsylvania saw the return of the 17-year cicada, called the Magic Cicada. That's its actual genus name. This singing insect is similar to a locust or a grasshopper, but it lives underground for most of its life, and once the bug has matured, it comes above ground in order to mate. This happens only once every 17 years, and it happens in such a way that billions upon billions of these cicadas coordinate their time and location so they all emerge in the same place at the same time. Well, I don't have a lot of early childhood memories, but I remember the summer of the cicadas. I remember being at a garden party and having to sit out on a patio that had been swept free of cicadas because we didn't want those bugs tickling our ankles while we enjoyed a summer breeze. I remember seeing handfuls of those cicadas drowned in that same host's bird bath. I remember how I didn't want to go outside and play on the dry, crackly lawns that summer because I didn't like the way that the cicadas squished under my feet with every step that I took. There were literally billions of cicadas, and they were everywhere. In the chapter preceding our first reading today, Joel talks about a plague of locusts that had descended upon the people of Israel. He sees the total devastation left behind by those swarms of hungry bugs, and he likens it and interprets it in in light of God's judgment. I imagine that those ancient insects were everywhere, just like the 17-year cicadas of my early childhood. And in an agricultural society, billions of hungry bugs spell out a sure and inescapable doom. Joel sees this devastation again as a sign of God's judgment. And in the chapter that we read from this evening, that passage In that passage from chapter 2, the prophet Joel uses the recent experience of God's people as a reminder to look ahead to the future coming day of the Lord. Joel describes this day using an analogy, the analogy of a vast army poised on the mountains, poised to descend upon the people of Israel, just like those same locusts came and brought utter destruction in their wake. This coming day of the Lord is understood throughout Scripture as that judgment day that will happen after we die at the end of human history. And this day is inevitable. It is inescapable. Judgment Day is is as inevitable as the day of our own death. 
Indeed, the two are connected. As the author to the letter of the Hebrews writes, it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment. In his great soliloquy to be or not to be, that famous speech, Shakespeare's Hamlet talks about death, and he alludes to judgment. Hamlet contemplates taking his own life, but it is fear of what follows death that makes him pause. To die, to sleep, to sleep, perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. Who would fardels bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from which no traveler returns, puzzles the will. Hamlet is right. The two are connected. And the dread of life after death is indeed the dread of judgment. The two dreads are united for us. And so this day of the Lord looms on the horizon for every human being, just like those locusts that Joel experienced, like the approaching army that he envisions. And this judgment day looms on our horizon, just like the day of our own death. For in the midst of all of the uncertainties of life, the unexpected losses, the persistent sorrows, the fragile joys, and those elements that continually escape our control. In the midst of all of these uncertainties, there is one thing that is certain, and that is that each one of us will one day die. As many of you know, my older brother Alex is also a minister. When his firstborn son was only about a year old, Alex was serving a small church plant outside of New York City. That church plant was so small that they didn't have a children's program. And so my nephew sat with his mother and the other adults during their regular worship services. On Ash Wednesday, my sister-in-law brought my nephew forward with her, with her in order to receive ashes even on his little forehead. And as my brother marked his own son with the sign of the cross, and as he said, Remember that thou art dust, and to dust shalt thou return, he was suddenly overwhelmed by the realization that his beloved boy, that little child brimming with life, would one day die. Each of us will one day die. Today we remember this truth. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of the 40 days of Lent. And in a few moments we will mark this day and the beginning of this season by allowing our foreheads to be marked with the sign of the cross in ashes. This mark is a twofold sign. First, 
as if we could forget, it is a reminder of our own death. As Psalm 103 says, we are dust. Our days are like grass, and we flourish like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. Secondly, the mark of ashes on our forehead is a sign of mourning and fasting for our sins. It is a visible mark, a reminder that all is not well with us. Indeed, all is terribly amiss with us, if we are honest, despite our best efforts to the contrary. And so by repenting now, during our earthly lives, we are preparing for our death. And we are preparing for that coming day of the Lord, that day that looms on our horizons like that army that Joel saw. This will be our tangible way of saying that we are each the cause of our own death, for the wages of sin is death. There is good news in the midst of all of this bad news. I'm getting there, don't worry. We have a living hope, and our hope is, exists and it persists even when we're confronted by our own sin or when we despair at the thought of our own death. Our sure and certain hope comes from God's steadfast and eternal love. As Psalm 103 says, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for us. Out of compassion for us, God makes a way through his own Son, Jesus Christ, so that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Even as my brother lamented the day of his dear son's death, so God also laments with us for the day of our death. Being gracious and compassionate, God deigned to allow his own beloved son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place so that through faith in him, we might be spared from eternal death. And so now, as we confess our sins and repent, as that ashen cross is marked on our hearts and not just on our foreheads, we are asking God today to set the passion, cross, and death of his Son, Jesus Christ, between God's judgment and our souls, now and in the hour of our death. As we mourn for our sins and failures now, we are essentially hiding ourselves in Jesus Christ, the rock of ages, so that when our death looms on the horizon and then descends upon us, we will face it confidently, without fear or shame. The shadow of death on the horizon casts no shadow of fear in our hearts. Because on Judgment Day, we will stand vindicated, 
not through any righteousness of our own, but because we trust that we are hidden in the one who pleads our cause, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who has bled and died for us. And surely, for that, we say, thanks be to God. Amen.